ladies, you are listening to Women Emerging Fearlessly. Did you know that four out of five women struggle with confidence and knowing who they are? This show is dedicated to helping women lead their lives with fearless confidence and to know how amazing they truly are. In the show, you will hear from women who are emerging fearlessly, who have overcome many obstacles to pursue their dreams and passions, and they will inspire you and encourage you to stand up, step out, and speak up. Be your authentic self and bring your true gifts to the world. My name is Janelle Anderson, and I am your host. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a great review and subscribe and share it with your friends. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome, ladies, to this episode of Women Emerging Fearlessly. I'm super excited today to have a guest on the show that is going to share some amazing, amazing tips with us. And her story is great. It's very uh, inspiring of her story of emerging fearlessly through a very difficult time of uh, adultery, not her, but her husband, and just finding out that he was uh, doing this. And then she also got a a diagnosis of cancer, and she's dealing with both of these at the same time. So the title of this episode is very appropriate, Using Adversity to Thrive in Your Midlife and Beyond. We can use adversity to thrive. So I'm so excited to introduce to you today, CJ Grace. She's the author of Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. And currently, she's completing Hotel Chemo, My Wild Ride Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. That's going to be very interesting. She dealt with the double whammy of discovering her husband's infidelity and shortly after being diagnosed with breast cancer by refusing to be a victim and keeping her wicked sense of humor. CJ was a BBC journalist and voiceover artist in the UK and later worked for China Radio International in Beijing. She insists that the obstacles she's faced have enabled her to make midlife better than her younger days. Wow, that's interesting. Well, welcome to the show, CJ. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a wild ride today. (laughs) That's right. So you've done a lot of things in your life and so many interesting things. I would love just to have you share a little bit of your story with the audience, uh, especially this story that you wrote about in your book and just how you've overcome these things. But tell us first, like what it was like for you to find out that your husband had had committed adultery and um, you were just diagnosed with cancer. Well, it was a bizarre change of events because prior to that, I felt I had been living a charmed life. I'd had my dream job with the BBC, meeting celebrities and politicians and having my pulse on current events. And then I got transferred to China Radio International in Beijing, and I had a fairy tale falling in love with an American that I met there. And obviously, our marriage had ups and downs like many do. uh, But our 25th wedding anniversary was the best ever. And we spent it in Hawaii, where we'd bought a second home. And really, I felt like we were living in the land of the gods, basically. But little did I know that just two years later, my health and my marriage would both be in tatters. Because I found out that my husband was carrying on an affair with a woman half his age and barely older than my oldest son. 
And then shortly after, I got my second diagnosis of breast cancer. And that, as you said, was a double whammy that left me reeling. I felt like the ground had been kicked away from under my feet. I also was a carrier of that dreaded BRCA gene that Angelina Jolie saw as a terrible uh, death sentence in a way. And to be honest, it was uh, as if time had stood still and a door had opened to lead me into a sort of brave and terrifying new world. And that was where I was. And it wasn't my first instance of breast cancer. I'd had it back in 2007. And I thought, well, I've done breast cancer. I'm, I'm over with it. I, I had my BRCA breast cancer. Now I'm fine. But then in 2014, I got it again on the other side. And it was a worse case than what I'd had before. So that was what I was dealing with. It was uh, definitely a time that was pretty difficult and pretty dark. But I worked out ways to get through it because I realized that that if I didn't, I was just going to not get well and not be able to have anywhere near as good a life as I had felt that I'd had before. So I I worked out a system of how to deal with it. And it was sure. in effect a six part system. And the first and most important thing was to find confidants and mentors that I felt I could trust. Not necessarily the same as friends, because sometimes you can tell friends things and then they tell all their other friends or they're a little bit judgmental and they don't give you the response you really want to hear. You need to have people who are good confidants. And sometimes that's somebody you have to pay to see, a counselor. But in my case, I had some very good people who actually had counseling experience themselves who gave me very, very good advice. And I made a point of choosing both male and female confidants because you get a very, very different view, particularly when you're dealing with adultery, when you talk to men about that than when you talk to women. And so, so that was very, very important. Just pause here for a second. I think even just one of those things would set somebody, you know, reeling, as you said. And I, I know I did. I went through infidelity with my first husband. And I remember when he came home and told me that he was having this affair and it was an affair with a friend of mine. And I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what. And our daughter at the time was only about six months old. I was still breastfeeding her. I was sitting on the couch holding her when he told me. And it felt like I was hit with this tidal wave. Literally, I physically felt like this thing hit me and just put me you know, back on my feet. And I was just in shock from that. And then you, on top of that, are getting this second diagnosis of cancer. What was your initial reaction at that time? Do you remember what you were feeling and thinking? Well, I went through the standard negative array of emotions. I was angry with him. I was very scared about how my life would turn out because you think, am I going to be able to live in this home anymore? How am I going to manage if we get divorced in terms of the finances? And what's really interesting is that it completely changes your view of who you are and what you're like. In a flash, it made me feel old and ugly. Mm, wow. When your husband's gone for somebody who's half his age and much younger than you, how does that make you feel? It doesn't matter if I felt quite fine with my appearance before then. At that point, I thought, oh my God, I'm old and ugly. And um, am I ever going to be able to get another partner? And uh, how, are we, how am I going to deal with this? And am I going to try and live with it? Because interestingly, 
I think he would have obviously ha been happy to just keep on doing this and not have me find out because I find, found out from a text. Oh, very much a cliche, but I found out from a text oh when I was, <laughs> ironically, he was asking me to fix his phone and transfer his records to a new phone because his phone broke. And just at that point came a, a nice text from his girlfriend. Oh, wow. So, yes. Um, and <laughs> so I just felt pretty dreadful as one would but I soon realized that if I didn't get myself out of it I would be in a mess I had to this was mm. and in many ways you either have post-traumatic stress and obviously you do have post-traumatic stress but you can also have post-traumatic growth because you that. can use what you go through mm -hmm. as a catalyst mm -hmm. to to make changes yes I I made a decision uh after a while, when he he even offered me a part-time marriage position because he didn't want to give the woman up, but oh well, I'd be happy, quite happy to be with the two of you. Like I, I really, it was it was quite bizarre, and and I even sort of thought about that because I didn't want to break up the the home and all of that. Yeah. Thankfully, my children were grown and out of the house; otherwise, it would have really been difficult. But that didn't last very long. Soon, I realised no, I just yeah. need to I need to move on and. And make my own way. Um, your absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love what you said that, you know, can be post growth, post traumatic growth, because we can really look at these hard times and these, the things that we suffer one way we can get all caught up in the victim mentality and get stuck there, or we can know that it's hard and it's difficult. It's not easy to go through, but we can grow through it and become even stronger and better and make the choice to, to make our lives even better from it. And that's what you've chosen to do. So, so back to your system that you came up with. So the first one is to find a confidant or a group of confidants. A group of, okay, group, yes, your, your tribe, right? Your support group. That's right, because they're the people you can share your deepest, darkest feelings with in a yeah. uh, safe, non-judgmental environment, and you'll get good advice back from them. So what would you say would, was the biggest benefit or the greatest benefit of having that group of confidence for you? I think it helped me to avoid getting into that revenge blame cycle. One of okay. the main mantras of my book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not, is that the best revenge is to get past the need for it. And wow. revenge is such a toxic emotion and it prevents you moving on. And when I looked at what a lot of women in my circumstances had written online and websites about the cheaters and all of this, they're very, very vitriolic and they're very much based with ideas on how you can best get back at the guy. And that's such a waste of energy and such a, such a horrible hole that you get yourself stuck in. And what I realized was that, you know, if somebody's unfaithful after a long-term marriage, often it makes the woman sudden, well, I'm assuming it's the woman, it's, it is more common that men are unfaithful, but I know it also happens the other way around very much so too. But often what happens is that this guy that was the love of your life, one minute he, he's a fantastic human being, and the next minute he's the devil incarnate. Well, right. it's the same guy, you know, he's just a, a man with flaws, a flawed human being like most of us. And you just have to assume that there was obviously something good in that long term relationship. And if you've had kids together, you've got wonderful children uh, to bring you joy beyond that marriage. Mm -hmm. 
so I felt very strongly that I did not want to get into that kind of relationship with with my ex. I wanted oh yeah, I mean, he's not a close friend anymore. And I do I approve of what he did? Absolutely not. Do I want him to treat me like a doormat? No, but that still doesn't mean that I have to have vitriolic hate for him and feel like everything I do needs to be a revenge move against him. That to right. me is completely pointless, completely Well, pointless. as you said, it's very toxic and it only hurts you, really. It's like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, as they say. That's right. I think it was, was it Carrie Fisher who, um, who, wrote, who wrote about that? Um, yes. The lady uh, from, from Star Wars. Right. I think I'm she mentioned sure. that. Yes. Um, and it's so true. It's so true. So tell me uh, what is number two in your process. Number two is similar. It's about cultivating existing, existing and new connections and okay. building a community. And what I found was that almost all my friends or my community were connected to my husband's business um, or the friends of his. And I had let go most of my friends, especially moving from Britain to America, because most of my close friends were back in Britain. And it got so bad that there was a very close friend of mine from university days who had sent me emails. And I hadn't responded to them because I'd been so busy dealing with a business, with dealing with my husband, dealing with my family and, and running a ha the house and all of this. I hadn't responded. And she genuinely thought that she had done something to offend me and that I no longer liked her. And that was a wake up call because I needed, I, I really needed to reconnect with all my friends. And I decided to leave no stone unturned. I, I connected with old friends, I connected with old boyfriends. It was a really good thing. And I wasn't doing it because I thought, oh, I've got to get myself another, another guy. I just wanted to have community again. And it was amazing that some of these people said to me once I was apart from my ex, oh, it's fantastic. It's like we've got the old CJ back. Because wow. I had been so much, I was very much nose to grindstone. I was very much ministering to his thing. His, the business was based on his expertise mainly. And I was always ministering to his his stuff. And if I had any complaints about how he was behaving, I certainly was not going to be venting that on, on our community because that would be really unprofessional. You don't air your dirty laundry to, to people you're working with or, or, or whatever. That, that just is not good. So I realized that that was absolutely vital. And some people might find community in their church. Some people might find community also in finding their passion and doing activities that they enjoy. This is another point in the six parts program that I have. And I know that that's one of the things that you work with people a lot on finding yes. your passion. And finding yes. your passion is really important. It doesn't mean you have to give up your day job and go off and become a writer or whatever it is that you want to do. But it is very, very important. And it allows you to go and and pursue activities where you will meet like-minded people and enjoy the time that you have on this earth. And I think that that's very, very important. Um, and it's important to embrace your inner hedonist in a way, because if you've been in a long-term marriage, you really don't let yourself go and enjoy things that much. You're always conscious of having to look after others. And it's a that's very true. female role to do that. So, well, yeah, just listening to you talk about this, I, about the, you know, finding your community again, I know so many women that I work with, and I know it happened to me, we do tend to get caught up in our husband's world and 
and supporting him and being with him because we as women love that companionship and relationship. And we can, if we're not careful, lose ourselves in that process and our own connections and our own world. And you don't have to, if you have a really good marriage, you don't have to, you know, lose your friends and your passions, but some, some women do a lot of times that does happen. And I was also going to say like about the passions, it's, it's really important to reconnect with that because it gives you meaning and it gives you purpose and it validates you and builds confidence in yourself that you have a calling, you have a purpose in the world now apart from that person that you were so, you know, tied to. So it's super important to pursue that pur- purpose and passion. Absolutely. I, I think so. And, and, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life. Mm-hmm. So you never, you know, put your head up out of that and think, oh, goodness me, what do I enjoy? Why don't I go out and smell the roses? <laughs> it, it's very, very important. And what I was hoping to do all the way through this program that I developed for myself was to become a more complete, creative, and joyful person with or without a partner. Um, and that's one of those issues where if you are so desperate when you've had an unfaithful partner and you know, well, it's not worked, I've got to find somebody else, I've got to find them right now, I'm in midlife, it's tough, I'm not getting any younger, I'm not going to be any more attractive 10 years from now, and all of that horrible stuff that goes on in your head. No, you really don't want to go straight out desperately into the dating world, because the more desperate and needy you are, the harder it's going to be to find somebody that really is a good fit for you. So, so that, that, that was very, very important. Um, and one of the things that I, I felt also was critical in my recovery, so to speak, was laughter therapy. Uh, it's so, so important um, to find the humor in life. And, and, and my watchword was, well, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. And why cry? Mm. You want to laugh. Even mm-hmm. though I was a, a journalist for many, many years, when I, especially when I got cancer, I stopped listening to the news because it's all bad news. Why do I need to be filling my head with stuff that's going to make me feel even worse. I hear about stuff enough from other folks and I, it's not like I'm completely insulated, but I don't actively watch news programs and I just try to focus on things that I find inspiring, educating and uh, humorous as well. One example was when I was going through uh, the cancer, somebody invited me to go and see Wild with Reese Witherspoon, which is apparently an excellent movie about her getting over depression. But you know, when you're going through infidelity and breast cancer, the last thing you really want to do is see a movie about depression. Uh, So (laughs) I turned that down and, and I found that I was making those choices and that was definitely a good thing for me and, and especially coming from a background of Monty Python that was my, <laughs> yeah. my family would let me stay up late to watch Monty Python when it was airing on the uh, on the television shows you how old I am because that's when it was airing on the television um, <laughs> but anyway so that was the way my mind worked I always would see the absurd Monty Python style humor in situations especially going through cancer there was some 
amazingly weird absurdity there. Uh, so when I wrote my cancer book, um, Hotel Chemo, my wild ride through breast cancer and infidelity, that is actually a comic self-help memoir. Even though it's about some pretty dark subjects, it's, it's actually got lots of cartoons and lots of humor because what? there's some craziness in that whole thing that, that you, all you can do is laugh. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. And you know, laughter and joy, it, it is very healing. There's a, a scripture in the Bible that talks about, you know, laughter is good like a medicine or a cheerful heart brings good like a medicine. And, and I know there's a lot of science. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's even laughter yoga. There's some Indian, an Indian tradition of laughter yoga where you're supposed to laugh a certain number of times and it's supposed to make you feel better. But I prefer not to have to laugh because I've been told to do it a certain number of times. <laughs> I prefer to actually look at something that's funny and and, yes. and laugh with friends and, and all of that kind of thing. So uh, I know when I was young, they used to have those laughter tracks and we would listen to them and it would just, it's contagious. And we would just start laughing and laughing and, and to the point where you are really laughing from your belly. Not, you know, not a made up laugh, but a real laugh, but just hearing those laughter tracks can get you going. And the next thing, you know, have you ever heard somebody laughing about something? You have no idea what they're laughing at, but you hear their laughter and it makes you want to laugh. That's right. You have to smile. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Even yes. if somebody's laughing at a terribly bad joke that they've made, you have to yes. laugh because they're laughing at their bad joke. <laughs> exactly. I can sometimes hear my husband upstairs just laughing and laughing at something and it just makes me want to laugh too. And it does. It just cheers you up and makes all the heaviness kind of lift away. And it, I know the science, I, I can't think of any particular facts, but I know I've read. There is science because um, I remember quoting some of that in my book in, I believe that's in the Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not book. Uh, because um, as a journalist, I'm sort of anal about research. And so if I say something, I try to find studies that back it up. And so it's got a really long bibliography of other books and studies that I've read. So that, yes, there have been uh, studies out there that have shown how healthy laughter is. I think there's a Harvard yes. one, actually, if I recall. Yes. 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 So find ways to laugh, find things that make you laugh in the middle of adversity and hard times. Absolutely. It's really important. And we do take ourselves way too seriously anyway. So it, it's really always do. good to to sort of lighten up, you know, and not Absolutely. not get into, into a, a churning dark space. Yes. Yes. No, it really does help. So what else is on your in your program? Well, the last item, no, two more items, actually. One of them is, is one I've touched on. It's about loving your body and becoming more beautiful. And that incorporates eating well and exercising to get healthier and banish the blues. Uh, mm -hmm. And outdoor exercise is an incredibly good antidote to depression. Absolutely no mm -hmm. question about it. Outdoor exercise, more so than indoor exercise. Outdoor exercise when you're out in the fresh air and walking yes. in nature is extremely healing. But loving your body is not just about how you look in real terms, which is touches on what I said earlier. It's about what's in your head. And so I mentioned that when I first found out that my ex was having an affair with a much younger woman, it immediately made me have a very negative view of my own appearance and made me think, oh, I'm old and I'm ugly. And mm. then when I started a wonderful relationship with uh, a man that I used to work with uh, in the BBC in London, he made me feel young and sexy. 
So it was the same body. It wasn't any different. It was just my attitude towards it. And of course, it does help right. if you have a partner who gives you nice feedback. You know, my ex compliments were about as rare as palm trees in the Arctic. That was just the way he was. But uh, it didn't mean he was a bad person, but that was just the way he was. My, my boyfriend, he's, he's great. He's always telling me how, how attractive he finds me. So that's, that's terrific. But you have to get in a space where you accept your body for what it is and you love it for what it is. I write about something similar in my book, in the Adulterous Wife book. There was a lady, I believe her name was Betty Dodson, who ran all these workshops for women back in the 1970s. And a good friend of mine went to one of these. It was in San Francisco, I think. And the woman who was leading it asked them all to take their clothes off. Of course, that was a very difficult thing for them to do. All these women took their clothes off. And a lot of them were drop-dead gorgeous, my friend said. However, most of them, almost to a T, had really negative views of their own body. Oh, my breasts are too small. My breasts are too big. I've got such a big butt. My belly's too big. I'm really... Everybody had criticism of their own body. And that just shows you that... And these were young, attractive women in the 1970s who were at this event. And it was just key to see how so much of your opinion of how you look is in your head and nothing to do with how you really are. Uh, and, and one interesting point there was that apparently Betty Dodson found that the women that exercised tended to have a much more positive view of their own body. So that's a good thing to, as a takeaway, that, that exercise does make you feel better and does make you have a much more positive view of your own body and your physical mm. appearance. Yeah, I would agree with that. I started working out with a trainer in my mid fifties. I decided I've got to do something and I hired a a personal trainer. And one of the things I got out of working with him was appreciating my body because of what it could do for me. As I worked the different muscles and did the different exercises, I began to really appreciate the muscles in my body and that my body was able to do a whole lot more than I imagined. And then of course I felt better and got more fit and toned and it felt stronger and had more endurance and all of that. So I could really appreciate my body in that way because our bodies are more than just how they look and our perception based on what culture tells us beauty is, right? It's coming up with your own definition of beauty and seeing yourself as beautiful as you are. That's a huge thing in our world, especially for women, you know, this whole body image uh, issue. But I do think that if you are exercising your body and you're giving it what it needs in that way, then you can begin to really love your physical body no matter what shape you are, and just appreciate it for the wonderful thing it is. Yes, because if you look at the standard image of somebody who's depressed, a woman who's depressed, you'll see a woman eating a tub of ice cream from the, from the container, lying in bed, watching television for hours on end. And of course, that's the worst thing you could possibly do to try to lift yourself out of depression. You get stuck in that lethargy and and you feel worse and worse and worse. So you are so right. It's it's really Mm -hmm. important to to get out. Just get out there. However lousy you feel, just get out there and walk. Yeah. Yeah. Your body will thank you. Your brain will thank you. Your mood will be lifted. 
it's just all around wonderful exercises. We're built for it, right? Our bodies That's are built right. to move. And I've even seen studies that it improves your brain and your cognition to go and Definitely. do exercise and, and reduces the uh, uh, onset of Alzheimer's and all of that. So it's very, very important, not just for body yes. health, but for brain health. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there well, there's awesome. one more thing I haven't mentioned in that six-part program, and it's very important too. It's about living in the present and becoming more mindful and fully engaged in what you're doing right now. And so many people, even if they haven't had to deal with cancer, infidelity, or any of those kinds of obstacles. So many people are really not living in the present. They're worrying about what they've done in the past. They're churning their decisions about, oh, I made the wrong decision there. That was, no, I really regret this. Uh, and then they're looking at the future and they're worrying about, oh, is my relationship going to fail? Am I going to be able to make enough money? And what's going to happen to the economy? And what's going to happen to this? And what's going to happen to that? And how's my health going to, isn't my health going to fail? It's completely pointless because all you've got is now. You don't have, the past is gone. The, the future doesn't exist. And whatever you might imagine it to be may well be complete fiction. So all you have is, is the present. And there is a section in my book about becoming more mindful. And I actually put together a free mini ebook which is called nice. Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions, uh, which you can get for free from my website. And I've got some techniques in there about how to become more mindful. And one of them, because I'm a recovering chocoholic, is, <laughs> is about how you can use a piece of chocolate to become more mindful. Nice. And I won't go into great detail, but it's all about involving every single sense of your body and becoming mindful of all of that the look of the chocolate. I like to do it with the, those Lindor lint balls. Some people yes, might like to do like it. Commercial, oh, yeah. So, some people might want to do it with Hershey's, but those Lindor balls with the wonderful um, gushy praline stuff inside, the, the, those are wonderful, the mm -hmm. truffle balls. Um, oh. Anyway, so you look at it and you feel it in your hand and then you're hearing the unwrapping of the wrapper crinkling in your hands and then you know you can smell it and see how it see how it smells the chocolate oh, wonderful oh, I smell it and then you know finally and of course you have to be very relaxed before you even start you have to sit in a chair and feel very mm. relaxed before you start right, enjoying yeah. your chocolate and finally only finally you put it in your mouth and you just feel it in your mouth and mm. roll it around a bit mm. and savor it and be present to every sensation. And finally, you can swallow it and enjoy oh. the flavor as it goes down your throat. Yeah. So that was a way of becoming more mindful that I, I didn't invent it. It was something that they've, they've done in schools in Britain. School kids in really? Britain have been doing that. They have mindfulness classes in, in British schools. And um, that chocolate mindfulness exercise was a very popular one. Uh, I love it. <laughs> so if school kids can do it and become more mindful, I'm sure us adults can as well. Yes, I'm going to run out right away and get my Lindor chocolate. Yes, I think they should give me a, you know, a kickback for a advertising yes. them i need to get a load of free ones coming to me now yes, you should. <laughs> wonder who doesn't want to do that exercise and it reminds me of those commercials you know their commercials are just like that that's right and i do genuinely believe that if anybody does not like chocolate there's something severely wrong with them yes yes <laughs> you need to go to the doctor 
<laughs> That's awesome. I love talking about being present in the present moment because it it is true. It's all you have is right now. And that will release all the panic and the fear and the reaction mode and just calm you down and allow your mind to be back online again and just calm down that roller coaster. Breathing is huge. Eating Absolutely. chocolate. <laughs> yeah. And you have to be able to breathe without holding a breath. The number of yeah. people that are sort of holding their breath of something. Yeah. And I, it's not like I'm immune. If I'm, I'm a bit stressed and somebody says something to me, I realize, geez, I'm holding my breath. That's yes. not good. That's making me feel more tense. Yes. And we do it without even knowing it and we're, or else we're breathing very shallowly. So being yes. mindful of your breath and breathing deeply whenever you think about it all throughout the day and just making that a practice. It's yes. a great way to get yourself in the present moment too. And I remember a couple of years ago, my daughter and I were hiking through the Grand Tetons and we decided to take a break on this bridge that walked over a river or the stream. And we just lay down on the bridge for a while. And I just got really present in that moment and listened to the river and smelled the air and listened to the wind in the trees and just really, really got that moment with her, you know, in my mind. And it seemed like time stood still. That's right. Yes. Yeah, it was. And wonderful. we don't have enough of those moments. We really yeah. don't. And you can do it anytime. Yes, yesterday I think it was. I was out in the backyard getting, taking a break, and I just brought myself into that moment again. Just be aware of what you hear and what you smell and what you feel in that moment, and just be appreciative of it and enjoy it. You know. And if you make it a practice, then you're more and more in tune, or you know, more and more used to being present, and you'll start to notice how often you're thinking of the past or thinking of the future. That's right. Your yeah. mind is just off there somewhere else. It's it's yeah. very hard to bring it back. I yes. think in in uh, Tibetan Buddhism they call it the monkey mind. It's always yes, off somewhere monkey. else. Yes, <laughs> yes, the monkey mind. So those are all really fantastic uh, practices for people to take away from our time together to help them. And I will put in the show notes your link for everyone that's listening to grab hold of. CJ's free uh, PDF, and it's called Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions. That's right. And I said you could use it not just for infidelity, but for any obstacles you're trying to overcome. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It'll be helpful for everything in life. Well, thank you so much for coming and spending your time with us today, CJ. I am so impressed that you took all of that adversity and are using it for good to help others and obviously have created a better life for yourself and taken the gifts in it, even though it was hard and used them for good. So kudos to you for that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you very much. I think we covered a lot of ground today and I'm really happy to have been on your program. Yes. And if you guys are interested, just definitely go grab her books. Is the second book out, Hotel Chemo? Um, the second book, Hotel Chemo, is coming out in 2021, but on my website, adulteresswife.com you can read the introduction and the table of contents oh, good. Uh, that's already up and uh so i have two websites actually adulteresswife.com okay. and rentabrit.com which showcases my british bbc broadcasting background um for voiceovers and a forthcoming podcast which i plan to launch next year that's exciting 2021 too but also most of my blogs you'll find on on adulteresswife.com or if you can't spell that as many people can't they, they get it wrong um just google cj grace adultery and you'll find me okay 
Awesome. And I'll put your links in the show notes and should be able to find you pretty easily. You have the perfect voice to do voiceovers. (laughs) Well, it was honed in the BBC. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you again for coming and everyone listening. Thanks for being here with us today and go out there and be fearless and be confident and be you. And we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed that episode and got a lot out of it that will help you on your journey to becoming fearlessly confident. If you would like to know how to work with me to help you to become fearlessly confident, just email me, Janelle at EmergingLifeCoaching.com. You can also go to my website. There's lots of great resources on there, including a free mini course called Be Confident, Be Real, Be You. It's a three video course with downloadable action guides that will definitely help you to get on this journey to becoming fearlessly confident. My website is EmergingLifeCoaching.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be fearless, be confident, and be you.